Hey, Jordan. What's up, Rob? Uh, nothing. You know, I'm just frustrated. I'm seeing all these, seeing all these people online on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, the various, the various other social networks, the more obscure ones, being really mean to Pete Buttigieg. Oh no! Again? Yeah, again, targeting Pete Buttigieg just because, just because he happens to be the transportation secretary currently in the Biden administration. Goodness gracious. Yeah. And then with the, with the train derailment and the mass chemical spill that we saw in East Palestine, which, what is, what is he supposed to do? What is he supposed to go out there and drive the trains himself? Like he can't, he's going to lay the track. What do you expect this man to do? It's just the, it's just the transportation secretary and the president of America. What do people expect from them? It's just disgusting that people would use this opportunity so cynically to go after kind and good uh, people like Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden. Very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I just think people are missing the mark. If you right now are taking this moment to attack Pete Buttigieg, it shows the, the only thing to me, the reason you're doing that is clearly because you're thinking about the 2020 primary. That's right. And that's, that's the yeah, only they're still reason mad. you could be talking about Pete Buttigieg right now yep. in a train derailment story. That's, Speak that's on the it. only thing I could think of. No, I know. And what you, what you should be doing in this moment, if you really wanted to respond res- responsibly, your focus should be on how people in East Palestine deserved it because – 70% yeah. of the city voted for Trump. That's that I think that's the best most equitable and most responsible uh way to to address this. Just tell people that they deserve it. And I think that's going to win people over to your side. Yeah. Listen, Pete won Iowa, Bernie Bros. This was decided a while ago. Okay, it was a historic victory. Just like that time when all the lights went off. Shock shocked, he the, shocked nation. the nation. <laughs> Like when all the lights went off in that in that gymnasium, and if they could you remember that, if you could light up the gymnasium, yeah, they can light up a town, they can light up a state, and he went on to make history, as we all remember, by, uh, you know, bowing out early and and handing the presidency to Biden, and then getting the the cushy administration job in exchange, which I guess was supposed to be like a launching well, pad saw- for him, which is turning out to be the exact opposite, which is kind of a unfortunate as well there's another way of looking at that though uh steve morris who i used to work with at media matters pointed out recently that his Pete's first job or his first request was ambassador to the UN and the Biden administration was like no (laughs) and then his second one was ambassador to China and the Biden administration said no (laughs) this was this was the third choice I guess so he kind of like failed down and I think looking at it that way it's even worse that he's in this position because it's it wasn't the gift that he wanted yeah and he's like the fall guy for America's in a failing, position. destroyed infrastructure. Yes. 
Yeah, and he just has no experience. He's totally unqualified for the job. He's clearly failing between the airline debacle uh, over the holiday season and now this and the way they've responded to it by shifting blame and saying his hands are yeah. tied. What a fucking disaster. They thought he would, they were just going to be able to go and do some cushy interviews on Fox or whatever and get those those big uh, sound bites going viral. Him and Kamala as well, who both like – who both got set up by the Democratic Party, both in the primary and in this administration as being like the rising stars of the party, and both kind of got stuck in these dead-end positions where they're deeply unpopular. They handed the border stuff to Kamala as well, and it's just been a nightmare for both of them. So even though it's the idea, I think, was to ensure that they had springboards to, to kind of take over from Biden, it almost seems like KG old Joe Biden kind of stuck them in places where it could twist the knife a little bit. You can never <laughs> trust that that old Joe Biden. He's got those. He's been in Washington. Shifty. Yeah. A couple decades. He knows all these little Shifty tricks. Joe. Shifty Joe. That's right. That's what we call him. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. Yeah. We have a good conversation today, though. I'm excited about yes, this. Yes, we do. I liked it a lot. Yes. With Dan from the internet. This is a very good one. Uh, we talked about this kind of yeah. like AI trend that's been going on with chat GPT and AI art and the way that that's kind of exploded over the last couple of months. Um, we talked a little bit about like uh, East Palestine and the sort of politicization of that. We ended up having a pretty interesting discussion as well about John Fetterman and men's mental health and kind of confronting these issues, uh, taking more of an effort to confront these kind of issues and be open about them, which was I wasn't really expecting to have today, but I thought it was some really good stuff, though. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. I In that same conversation, I took a, a second to think like, wow, are we, <laughs> this is much deeper than I expected this yeah, conversation yeah. to go, but I, I enjoyed it immensely. Um on the East Palestine coverage also, or earlier this week, Matthew Cunningham Cook from The Lever joined us to talk about the amazing reporting they've been doing on the train derailment, you know, immediately getting out uh, front of everyone and pointing out that Norfolk Southern and the rail lobby group uh, lobbied against safety regulations and brake rules and hazardous material regulations and, you know, quickly pointed out that the DOT hadn't done anything and that Pete Buttigieg was saying his hands were tied. And really now a legal challenge for environmental groups. Really great coverage of the, at the lever. So Matthew joined us on our most recent premium episode this week to talk about their coverage and what is happening in East Palestine. If you want to hear that in every other paid episode, become a paid intern. Go to theinsurgents.substack.com. For just five bucks a month, you get access to an additional episode every week. Uh, we thank you all for for subscribing and supporting the show. You help keep us going because we don't want to do ad reads. We don't want to do sponsored content. The best way to support the show is to subscribe at theinsurgents.substack.com. And we thank you all for doing so. We are we are sponsored though by Colin Broom. That's a real thing. That's not a bit. And but yeah, that's just a good product. That's just a good product, and that we believe Dude, it, in. So, like, no yeah. joke, it rocks. It it <laughs> works. Like, I'm not and like I'm not endorsing. I'm just saying in my personal experience, it. I can't your believe Colin, an your Colin is product doing well. got me like that. Okay. Yeah. I lost okay. like ten pounds, good. dude. It's crazy. Oh wow. <laughs> it's I wild. Need to get some of this. Some of this business. Get some. Yeah. <laughs> 
Poland Room. It's got the funniest fucking name. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a really good episode with uh, Matthew Cunningham Cook. It's been really impressive seeing the work that the Lever's been doing on this. Sirota's been in rare form lately. Friend of the stream, David Sirota. Because <laughs> I think he really shines in these moments when uh, he, he criticizes uh, you know, the role that establishment Democrats have played in perpetuating these situations and then gets this wave of like unhinged people just like completely losing it on him. And I think he really seems to relish these moments. I think David Sorota really relishes being a heel to these kind of exact type of people. It's been funny seeing him uh, yeah. uh, do it out there online, engaging in that. I love that. I love that about him. He's yeah. great. He's, 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 he fucking rocks. But did you see on the, the funniest response to the Levers uh, work this week? The guy who was formerly the Pete Buttigieg reporter for Politico during the 2020 campaign, Adam Wren, yeah. who evolved into this like oh, they're fundraising scold on behalf of the campaign. Yeah, and he's, he pointed out that the lever emailed their free subscribers about their stories, which were huge. And they had, you know, the New York Times invited them to write a column this week about their coverage. And he, they, so they went to their free subscribers, which after a huge week like that, you do. You say, hey, we did all this work. You help make this possible through your subscriptions. Will you subscribe? And he's like, they're trying to fundraise off of this disaster. And all of these people were just like hammering that guy in the replies, Politico, pointing out yeah. how Politico takes – yeah, takes, is spo- their content is sponsored by like big oil, big pharma, <laughs> weapons manufacturers, and the railroad lobby, like the railroad CEO lobby group, the American – or the Association of American Railroads – is the lobby group for the rail companies. And someone dug into the history of that content that was sponsored by the rail lobby group and found this puff piece talking about how all these trains are safe. And it's just like a perfect example of why you need to subscribe to independent outlets so you don't have to resort to shit like that to keep your your outlet going. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Someone from my Twitch community actually shouted to G-Cluppy, annihilated this guy in the replies talking about Politico, yeah. <laughs> how it was when it was purchased by um, the Axel Springer company. And upon its acquisition of Politico and Business Insider, Axel Springer announced that all employees must support a free market economy, a united Europe, and Israel's right to exist. <laughs> so yeah, very famously, very- Good, good uh, independence there. The, yeah, that's the, the real kind of high quality journalism you need, not the, not the lever- uh, trying to report on powerful business <laughs> lobbies in America and in fundraising with their readers for the work that they're doing. Very funny. Very yeah, funny stuff. That's ridiculous. Great work by them. Uh, and just look, subscribe to them, but also subscribe to us. Yeah. The insurgents.substack.com. One final push. We will they're, never. They're not putting us in the New York Times. Content from Big yeah. Oil. Well, they should. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> when are when are, when are Jordan and I going to get to co-write something in the New York Times about this? What the the coverage that we do? We'll get there. We'll yes. get there. Yeah. What we've asked a hundred guests: Are they a gamer? Here's what we learned yeah. <laughs> in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. If someone will give this us that byline, data. if someone who works at an outlet will give us that byline, we will write that call. Yes. <laughs> That's I we promise that's gonna get that's gonna bring in clicks for people. Yeah. In oh, any man. case, um yeah, All it was, right. it was a crazy to- week. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's get to our friend Dan from the internet. Wonderful conversation with him coming up. Uh he's gonna be joining the program right after this.
by Dan Evans. Dan, how are you? Uh, as best as we can all be during these times. I Loaded mean, question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, got a birthday coming up. So <laughs> that's nice. Do you do. Yeah. Is, is that what, what, when's your birthday? Um, that, that's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I, I'm a leap day baby. So I actually just, I, I gave really? you a George Santos. I lied to you. My birthday's not coming up anytime soon. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you do usually? Um, I usually celebrate it on the 1st of March cause of, I guess that's when my family decided to do it. And yeah, I'll celebrate. Like it's a normal birthday. It kind of just doesn't matter. I'm kind of just taking time off to myself to work on some personal, like passion projects, which will be kind of my gift to myself. But my parents do this cute thing on leap years, which always coincide with election years. So it's a nice little break where they celebrate February 29th as though I'm a child because I've only had like, if I like, I'm turning 28 um, next election year or something. So they'll divide that and go like, oh, you're turning six or seven. Um, and so they'll give me yeah. a birthday gift and birthday celebration as though I'm a seven year old <laughs> and they will like play the bit. These are very like straight edge people, my parents, but they will play the bit very strongly that entire day. And then wow. the next day they will do a secondary birthday celebration for me for my like regular, how many years have you been alive kind of day. So I That's do look so forward fun. to those. That's, yeah. yeah. I like that. I don't know if I've ever What are you doing for your seventh the, birthday then? Are you doing going day. to like the museum? Looking at dinosaurs Chuck or e. cheese aquarium, yeah. <laughs> the ball pit aquarium. There we go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> nice. That sounds I sick. Have, actually, look at all the so um, fish and like sea animals I have as like stuffed animals <laughs> on my beds. Clearly, my vibe. Nice Just a sea creature waiting to be. <laughs> yeah, except except not, nowhere near Ohio. I don't want to be a sea creature there. Smoking on that pack tonight. Right. <laughs> uh, Dan. I believe we've asked you this before, but just in case things have changed, we ask everybody this question before we start our conversations with them. Dan, are you still a gamer? <sighs> uh, bless me, Jordan, for I have sinned. And Rob, too. Oh, no. Even though oh. Rob is the center. I have not been gaming as much as I've wanted to because of just trying to get all of the streaming and shows going together but also my mm -hmm. game of choice lately has been city skylines because it's very relaxing i can lose my brain and like um nothing else in american society um i have control and so uh every time you update the game they add new features but every time you update the game if you have like mods built onto it it breaks your city so you'll spend like 60 hours or 70 hours building this like metropolis utopia where you have like suburban areas and rural areas with like and urban areas with like perfect mass transit and everything's good and you have a population of 30,000 or 300,000 people and socialism works the map breaks and it just like takes all of your buy-in out of the game and so I've been meaning to get ahead of all of my work and then eventually start streaming and just casually building a city again but it's, it's just hard man when you put so much energy in and it just does it lets you go like it's 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 like love, really. It's I don't know. It's, it's it hurts here. That's hurts what Mark's here. never told you, and I think a lot of these, you know, millennial and Gen Z, you know, socialists and communists needs to understand. It's all good on paper, but once your map breaks, it's over. That's why yeah. capitalism is the best system. The map once you update, break there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look in the history books. It works in theory, it's but right not there. in practice. That's what we know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, Rob, have you? What have you been? You get any victory royales this week? 
No, I came close. I came close. Um, came up short a couple times, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm trying to think about expanding it. I got it like, I got to play a different game. I don't think I can just play Fortnite for the rest of my life now, but it, it, the way it incentivizes you to only ever play that. And when I, when I play a different game, it's just like, oh, I'm missing out on the quests for today now. Oh, I got to, it, it mm-hmm. colonize my whole brain. So it forces you to just stay in that ecosystem. It's not good. Yeah. So I have been uh, revisiting a bunch of old games. <clears throat> uh, and one of like so as i mentioned last week i got a steam deck and you can very mm. easily emulate uh game, like roms on there allegedly and hypothetically hype yeah hy- hypothetically in a video uh, game i have been about video games in a video game yes hypothetically i would play god of war chains of olympus and it's been really fun to revisit that, like the old franchise games or like the, like the old iteration of them. Was that PS2 or like PSP? Sorry. PSP. Uh, it's been it's a man been of a fun taste. One. It's been a fun <laughs> one. To revisit. Yeah. I, I love, I love the God of War, the original God of War games. Four is fine. Or like the new God of War, like the Norsk one. I haven't played the newest one yet. But I loved one through three in the PSP games, just that style of play. I don't yeah. need the skill tree. Just give me one level up method and it's blood points and I'm just going to fill that bar and then I'm upgrading. Let me kill. I like that. Don't give me a fucking skill <laughs> tree. Yes. Give me the rudimentary, you know, cathartic mass murder experience of yeah. just swinging those blades around and killing a bunch of skeletons and ghouls. I like it. That's what I want. That does sound fun. I do have... It's cathartic, man. I'm trying to get through the closest thing to that that Nintendo would probably allow on their platform is on my Switch, I have the No More Heroes trilogy, which I never completely finished. And so that's like nice, like good, clean, wholesome, like uh, have a blade and slash it around in a 3D space kind of game. And uh, yeah, Yeah. they don't make them like that anymore. I I, I mean, maybe they do and I need to like open my gaming vibes. Maybe you should send some my way. But yeah, I, I really... I really relate to loving that kind of style of just let just, g- give me some ghouls to fry. Just let let me keep going. Just give me eight <laughs> clean worlds of ghouls to fry with seven or eight bosses at the end, and I'm I'm a happy guy. Take my sixty bucks. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, I've also been playing a lot of NHL. Or hypothetically, I would play NHL 2004 and yeah. 93 from genesis uh on it it's just been great but i didn't realize that again purely hypothetically that your steam activity shows up on your on your uh account even when you're you would potentially play one of these games uh it's been <laughs> funny to see people's reactions like what, what's going on how do you how are you doing that um yeah really cool device, but also just like one of the most impressive devices i've ever seen graphics are stunning it's crazy and it even upscales old ones. If we ever actually get a chance to hang out IRL, Jordan, we're going to have to have a, a NHL on Sega Genesis tourney, a best of seven series or something, because it's oh, been yeah. a long time since I was able to test my skill against someone who's, who's you know, got that ability, got that unique, uh, that yeah. elite Sega Genesis the hockey juice. ability. Yeah, someone's the got Genesis the juice. juice. My, my kid doesn't have it. My seven-year-old kid doesn't have it. I just wipe, wipe the floor with him each and every time. 
doesn't no have mercy. the makings of a varsity yeah. hockey player. No mercy. No, I don't believe in like, oh, good, you you know, let them do a good job. No, no, no. That's not that's not how I operate in this household. Build them down, to, break them down to we, build them back exactly, up. Is what you're yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> it would be good to eventually face off to, with some, with, 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 my pun intended, but face off with someone who's got a little gut juice. We, uh, if we get to a certain like subscriber threshold. We should make arrangements for an IRL episode. Because also, yeah, like Rob and I have never met in real life. This has been purely an online friendship for years. So if we get to a certain subscriber threshold and we can factor it into the cost of doing the show, <clears throat> having Rob come here, or we meet in the middle or something, doing an IRL episode, but also like uh, a, a gaming session, we square off in NHL, that'd be, that'd be a blast. Yeah. I'd love to come down to Washington. There's got to be something crazy yeah, that cool. we can cover. Yeah. Yeah. There's always news here. <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, do it. One of these days. The, you're that subscribers. We'll that sounds like something that you'd want to see. You can become a paid intern at the Insurgents become Podcast. You can make intern. this dream come true. <laughs> Bring this friendship IRL. You can. Have, you have that opportunity. <laughs> Dan, you're invited uh, as well. I don't know where you're located, though. What, what, yes, what's, Dan can come. At, at one point a long time ago, like... Obviously, he's the esteemed um, K asterisk asterisk clip and asterisk asterisk. But like, wasn't he a paid <laughs> thank intern? You, thank that you, that, thank that, you. that went super well for him, right? He was well, never paid. No, we we've a, not paid. Okay. I, I can guarantee yeah. everyone that we've not paid Ken a dime. We actually had that's to pay. Fair. He had to pay us to join the episodes mm-hmm. when he has scoops that he wants to promote. I mean, he has the he has the money from the legal fees, which for him are in reverse. So like, yeah. the, the lawyers actually pay him. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's a really cool setup you get. It's, <laughs> Got to talk to his lawyers. He's on the old CIA payroll as well, so he's double dipping. Really, he's got all <laughs> kinds of disposable income <laughs> throw around and this kind of stuff. He's waiting. I, last time I talked to him, he was trying to get that peacock parlay. There we go. <laughs> what I thought was so funny uh, over the past couple of years is when he was doing reporting about how the FBI was essentially doing COINTEL Pro, which was even recently even further confirmed. Denver, he wrote yeah. about this, yeah, very in very preliminary stages, showing that this is what they're doing. And yeah, like you point out, Dan, that story out of Denver where they were, you know, they had some guy who was an informant and trying to rile them up, tried to yeah, yeah. talk one of them into assassinating the AG yeah. in Colorado. And Ken was writing these stories with very limited information a couple of years ago. And like the people who are like off the deep end left were like, whoa. This guy's got to be a Fed. How's he getting this story? How's he like? Do you know how leaks work? <laughs> do you know? Do you know how this kind of how do y'all reporting works? He's not saying like oh, the FBI is great. He's reporting this because it's bad. It's yeah. the perfect it, op. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to tell you exactly you. what yeah, the FBI is doing on the inside. That's how he gets you. He earns your trust. <laughs> it's very insidious. I'm onto this guy. This kind of oh, double bluff. I believe they called it a double really bluff in the spy game, the spook game. <laughs> That's what they call He's it. A double agent, man. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, Dan, we're, we're happy to have you back. Uh, we, we have a couple things we want to talk uh, with you about. But first, there's been this wave of all these companies trying to replicate this chat GPT AI chatbot. You know, Microsoft and and had had their Bing bot uh, embroiled in some weird bada Bing. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it 
call if you want to call it controversy just very bizarre comments coming from that thing google is trying to rush to get theirs out which caused their stock to to tank because staff were saying it was a premature announcement but everyone's rushing to compete against this booming chat gpt in the big trailer for that that google released there was a mistake that was released to everyone. And because it was a public mistake they did in their like big advertisement, their stock price dropped because there's no – apparently the middle yeah. managers were also doing QA at Google. So, Jesus. yeah. And it shows – Not to cut you it, off. It shows this urgency that all these companies are trying to get into this space. They see it as the next big frontier. And I'm curious what both of you think about this uh, and especially what it means for the future of work because, you know – Automation is has always been a threat to workers and the professional managerial class, the elites, white collar workers typically were never really concerned about it. You know, there were some things that were automated here and there, like the tax prep industry moving to online based self-filing. That's that was a, you know, a big step. But you could pick things here and there that replaced some jobs but automation has really largely been affecting blue collar workers in manufacturing at a much larger scale for years that's been where the threat is so people and you saw this in andrew yang's campaign when he brought that up kind of laughed at him dismissed it didn't treat it like a serious issue but it is and now it's going to start to affect white collar workers in a much broader scale and i'm curious just Initial thoughts on how these companies are all rushing to get their own automated, you know, AI chat generation or writing bot, or in some cases, you can even do whole essays or reports. Uh, Rob, you said you were tinkering around with it this week, and I know, Dan, you have a lot of thoughts on it. So I'm curious to hear both of your thoughts. I'm not sure, like... On the one hand, Jordan, you were saying that, yeah, this technology is coming for a lot of white-collar workers. On the other hand, we've seen in the past with these technological revolutions that somewhere in between the technology itself and the marketing around it that these multinational corporations do is the reality of what these technologies are and what their limitations are, right? So, I mean, I'm a kid of the internet. Like, that's kind of like my brand. I got access to the internet for better or worse like when i was like four years old or three years old right so like and i used to think that was a cool thing and i look at my eight-year-old niece or a 10-year-old niece and she's like oh i've made three tiktoks and i've got rid of the app because it bores me it doesn't show me interesting content anymore which just haunts my soul (laughs) to this day right but no like i think of my parents and my family who were blue collar, barely white collar workers around the end of retirement, right? But like technology never replaced a lot of the work they did. Partially that's because of the limitations of technology at the time. But a lot of times it was supplemental to the work that was being done, right? So there are some jobs that like, because of the limitations that we talk about all the time by like, whether it's this technology itself mostly being reliant on human data and small batches of it. So it's reliant on those data sets and also the limitations of the tech workers who live in a very myopic space themselves and what they're kind of putting into the algorithm and what they're prioritizing. Layer that on top of business interests. And yeah, while definitely the incentive is to, and the big draw with a lot of these things is to see, okay, can AI replace coders? Can AI replace copywriters? Um, There are even talks about, okay, 
AI data set creation might be a new job. I, I personally think that if so, that's going to be like a temp job that might start to go away in two years as these data sets start to become more complete. But I think at least in the beginning, these technologies are going to be very supplementary to people's existing work. And a lot of workers are going to like that, whether it's blue collar workers or white collar workers. But we definitely need to be cognizant, especially as people on the left, of the fact that a lot of these technologists, a lot of these marketers, a lot of these CEOs like Microsoft and Google fighting for percentages of market share, they don't have ethics in their interests. They don't have um, the actual ramifications of expanding this technology in the competitive capitalistic space in their interests. In fact, they've most of these companies have actively fired the people who have done the paperwork and done a lot of the warnings. Like we've seen about the Timnit Gebru situation. Like these companies are actively disinterested in the ramifications that these technologies have. And if you want any further proof in what I'm saying there, because it's very much of a future take, look at what these companies have done in the social media space. Look at what's happening with young folks and how depression and suicide and all these other different things are rising. And look how much they don't give a fuck about any of that stuff. So I think the technology, there's limitations to it, but we also need to be careful about what it's going to be pushed to try to do. Yeah, I think that's kind of the thing that I find myself thinking about the most. Um, not so much the immediate immediate effect it's going to have. Like the, the like, I think these like older journalist types are freaking out about getting into these conversations with these chatbots where they say like, "Oh, I'm I'm want to be alive," and they start saying all this creepy stuff like we saw in that interview today. But like all the all the geeks that program this stuff they've all read asimov and like they're all familiar with these kind of ideas about ai and what the what the uh, dangers of it are i think this is kind of inherent to kind of the models that are being built around these things but the thing that i i find myself thinking about a lot is just not even as much you know what is the immediate impact right now but what's what's the impact going to be five ten or years from now or beyond that because these things are going to start getting exponentially better at these tasks as these models improve You've seen just with the whole AI art stuff, just even like I've been using Midjourney for a couple of months, and there's been an you've seen an improvement in that just over the last couple of months as as millions of people start to use these services. Um, and I, I yeah, I start to think about the ways that you know these these chatbots, art, deep fakes, like the voice technology, like the voice, the text to speech, voice technology that can input. Uh, that can mimic other people's voices. I think like we already live in this sort of post-truth era, just that people have lived in these like kind of social media bubbles of weird fake news and whatever. But I just feel like that's going to get to be such an exponentially worse problem. And even if, even if this stuff doesn't become widespread or if there's laws that are put into place to avoid, you know, creating these kinds of things, deep fakes or what, what have you, it's going to be like, all of reality is going to have this kind of plausible deniability and anything that people don't want to believe. Like they already, people already do this, right? People already do this with the media that exists now. And it's going to give anyone this sort of way to be able to deny reality uh, when it's playing out in front of their face. And everyone's going to be able to, everyone's going to be questioning, you know, what's real and what's not. Um, so the chat, like, that's the thing I don't, I'm not too concerned right now about uh, white collar workers losing jobs, even though like it, I think it is a, a distinct possibility. I've been, as you mentioned, Jordan, I've been messing around with this, that chat GPT is really good at instantly spewing out this kind of like soulless 
corporate pablum, which could be very tweaked very easily and which is only going to get uh, a lot easier. Like I was, I was using it to create these kind of like corporate HR style, uh, scoldy emails, sending it to members of my, my discord who displease me. Um, it's amazing how good it is already. So I do think it's, it, you know, there's a possibility for having kind of an immediate impact, but I'm, I'm more just like thinking about long-term as these technologies improve and they're going to improve really quickly. Um, what that's going to mean for our society. And it's, I think it's going to have a lot more far-reaching consequences than just people losing jobs, but it's going to encourage this separation from uh, reality and allow everyone to live in these kind of bubbles where they can sort of create their own truth. And who knows what impact that's going to have. I don't know. Yeah. On the plausible deniability front, like we've seen that in other instances, you know, in, but in more fringe spaces, I know media matters. They track a lot of the right wing, you know, freaks. And in response to some old clips of some right wing provocateur they had dug up, this is like, like a year or two ago, that person made the claim, oh, no, this is a deep fake. And it wasn't like the, the clip had, you know, you could see easily that it was it predated any of that technology or the proliferation of that technology, but that seems to be something they're keeping in their back pocket as this technology advances and evolves and gets better. That that's something they're going to try to trot out in defense uh, or to deflect or to distract. And as these things get more sophisticated and it seems like they're very quickly getting more sophisticated and in many cases more believable when used in a less outlandish way because most of what i've seen is people been just trying to get a laugh with it but if they really wanted to be nefarious and just try to make it seem entirely believable and do damage like it seems like we're there or almost there and in a political context in a social context that could cause serious harm uh, and i'm i'm really worried about the future where people just don't seem to care about these technologies and uh, the risks they pose. And we have a regulatory apparatus and a government that just doesn't understand these types of things. Like they still don't even know what to do with social media. They still don't know what to do with the internet at large. They're years behind on that. I There's no way they're going to be able to keep up with advancements in this space and that's something i'm really worried about because that could just really ruin someone's life or career oh yeah there's no save for this happening to a politician and you know i that situation would likely be very ugly um on a lot of different levels but save for this happening to I'll, I'll amend that politicians on both sides so like there's some skin in the game and it doesn't become like this partisan oh it turns out big tech is just attacking us or oh it's happening to them so it doesn't matter like e either we know how this game can work right but i think usually the united states is after europe after a lot of other broader regulatory apparatuses to get to the ball on these things than america is unfortunately but that definitely still means it and it's not that you're not saying this but like it's important to keep our eye on the ball on this because we're already like yeah they're seeing the funny sort of like um i guess luddite uh 
purposes that people are seeing like, oh, wow, it said a bad word to me or, oh, now, oh, wow, it's like acting like that sentient being that we're so worried about. Like these journalists are acting like they don't all have Twitter accounts. <laughs> like they've all seen worse things from real people. And even though Microsoft, people will always forget this, but like Microsoft's last attempt at AI had to be taken down like over under around 24 hours because of its blatant use of the n-word and other like racial epithets and things like that so like now microsoft is using a lot of chat gpt software and like layering on their own stuff on top of that so again maybe it's better they ultimately have business interests and trying to take market share away from google that's what um their ceo has literally said that that's what their goal is to do this so Given that, like everything else that is poisoning our brains, social media is a big example I've given, but just, you know, digital marketing and like other aspects of the internet that we kind of, you know, take for granted here or there, but are, you know, having these impacts on us. Like, it's knowing that these things are only going to advance because of these same things that have screwed up our society and have made technology like have worse impacts on us than some of the better ones. These same things are going to happen again and replicate again. Uh, if, if any, I take any consolation from this, it's that Zuckerberg bet his entire company on the metaverse being the future thing. <laughs> and now it's looking like AI is going to be like the ball for at least three to five years. Like, we're going to have TVs with AI and uh, earphones with AI. It's going to be the next buzzword, like 5G or whatever, right? But yeah, the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is taking like yet another L and is unfortunately taking it out on his workers. But yeah, Zuckerberg's taking another L. That's really the only kind of light I see from this because AI is going to be like, it's it's a buzzword. A lot of its uh, capabilities are being overblown but i I think it's going to be like the buzzword that's here to stay for a while soon we'll have super bowl ads that'll be all about ai 8k 5g (laughs) every buzzword they can find uh one example of the use of chat gpt ai that i found ridiculous is something i just saw a couple minutes ago uh i couldn't believe it was real but apparently the like the Peabody Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at Vanderbilt used ChatGPT to draw. Yeah, friend of the so- friend of the show, Vanderbilt University's Peabody Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Uh, they used ChatGPT to generate a statement that they sent to students in the wake of the Michigan State University shooting <laughs> and they included a footer in the email that the that the copy in that email was from ChatGPT <laughs> what the fuck are you doing <laughs> how do you how do you not have the confidence in yourself to write an email saying mass shootings are bad i i'm actually because i'm just jaded by america i'm more annoyed they don't have a template for this already because the mass shootings happen so often why do you need ai just be like a insert local location and right. just add a few variables Literally in there copy and paste <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah and you know like I, I get the whole thing where okay the most useful thing these chatbots can do is help us write early drafts or beginnings of harder conversations like you know generic emails that we're not in the right space to write about but like yo just like look into your heart <laughs> think about shootings and like say something and don't just go, hey, chat GPT, give me something that won't get me on a Fox News segment that will allow me to express sympathy for this mass shooting at this location. Uh, send. That's that's even baller. if you're 
even if you're not comfortable writing that and you you still do chat gpt for that why would you tell people in the email that you didn't even write it especially for that email it's so weird it's levity <laughs> it's it's gonna lighten people up i guess during the no no i'm yeah. i'm just again be I, i'm jaded from a lot of this stuff so i'm trying to i'm i'm not even cutting them some slack i'm just like it's so disgusting i have to put myself in a fantasy world where in a like a monty python-esque sort of way they're just on a different universe of how this is being played and that's a better way than like how they actually did it because yeah it's disgusting oh by the way a robot wrote this sympathetic epithet (laughs) i couldn't do the thoughts and prayers myself as a person so joining me now is microsoft's latest (laughs) bankroll Well, that's what I mean. Eventually, I feel like we're all going to be sending emails back and forth to each other that we're not even we don't even have any hand in writing. We have this AI that's going to be assume our personality. That's going to like send in like a work related email to someone, and then you have your AI chatbot respond to it. And like eventually, we're just going to be completely removed from that process. We're all NPCs now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually an interesting uh, part in the Adam Curtis film uh, Hypernormalization, talking about this chatbot from the 80s, Eliza, which was invented by uh, this guy, Joseph Weizenbaum, basically as a joke that was like a psychologist that essentially just repeated what you said back to it. You'd type in a little thing and it would just basically repeat what you said back to it. And people loved it. People started like confiding in this thing and like actually you treating it like an actual psychologist. This is a way, you know, in the past rudimentary version of the kind of technology that we're talking about now. So even in this very rudimentary version, it had this kind of impact on people psychologically. And now we're in the, we're in the kind of future world, dystopian world that, uh, uh, was kind of being predicted at that time. So for me, yeah, this whole the whole thing is phenomenon is kind of like a, we got to kind of buckle up and wait to see how this is going to completely shift our society and morph it over the next decade because it's going to be very it's it's going to get very bizarre. Have you been seeing again like yeah. AI is being branded onto everything? But have you been seeing the memes of like the presidents playing Call of Duty or like Fortnite together, and they use the <laughs> yeah. AI voice yes. banks yeah. of? Uh, yeah, Trump like and all these presidents Overwatch talking. and stuff. Yeah, Obama jumping in, like, oh, if, uh, and Biden's, uh, Trump's like, of course you've got the AC one thirty, Obama. <laughs> just, th- those are th- those bring me a little bit of joy. Yeah. They terrify me because we are going to get to uncanny valley where, like, okay, one of these politicians is actively running for office, and then these chuds don't know the difference between like the AI call of duty voice and like the real politicians. No, speaking. no, we're there um, already in yeah. terms of the technology, but in, in we're going to be even very much so more there in, uh, you know, five, 10 years from now, it's going to be very bizarre, but let's, let's just enjoy the point where like yeah. it's being used for call of duty. TikTok. Yeah. It, it, it's nice right now. Yeah. So we can look back on this innocent time in the future, you know, when we're all being controlled by the Skynet or whatever. Friendster was so easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can look back on this uh, and laugh. I mean, you're you're talking about people falling for it. And Rob, you say we're there with the technology, but we're there socially. Like we're definitely like people already. Boomers already believe. Oh yeah, everything they see and read on the internet. Absolutely. You know that's why we have QAnon. That's why we had PizzaGate. That's why we have all these other conspiracies. That's why people thought Damar Hamlin was a stunt double. Like that's anything, anything is fodder for conspiracies now. And now that we like have this and very easy to quickly download an AI program, I got one a week or two ago because I wanted to have Biden read one of my friends like insane tweets in a video. 
it was just like I w- I didn't publish it or post it. I just sent it to him. But it it was easy. It took three minutes to get everything done. You know, download the program, do it, cut the edit, uh, cut the audio and and video. It's very easy for somebody with malicious intent to do that and just create a new clip and bam, it's out to the most gullible people in the country. Yeah, like imagine if Turning Points USA like had a meme game. And so like they just started publishing deep fakes of Obama and Biden and Kamala Harris and like all this other different shit, like doing like, yeah. witch trials and stuff with like Pete Buttigieg in the center. Like basically like a Ben Garrison cartoon, like in- incarnate in reality. And they just published it through their boomer channels. Like it's, it's a funny idea, like in yeah. theory, but like once you think about like, okay, who does this stuff touch and how, you know, I, I operate on TikTok. You know, it's a blessing and a curse that in a lot of ways it's a, left-leaning space compared to you know facebook which has become just like a complete cesspit of right-wing glory but like it on in both platforms in american society overall we're suffering from an absolute dearth of like lack of media literacy and so i worry about false messaging not to both sides it but like i worry about false messaging being presented by people who are primed to believe it because it's like very even in a journalist perspective like i fall in for this sometimes like if you're primed to believe like oh yeah this would totally happen but it's also fake it's a difficult thing that you know as someone who feels a responsibility to disseminate true information to people we saw that with the pizza thing a couple couple weeks ago yes yeah an example of that yeah and so like even though we already see that with things that aren't like AI, they're just like urban legend and rumors, which have existed time immemoria. It's just going to be much worse when there are people who are like, Hey, video was the ultimate proof. And that has been more or less like 98% true until this decade. Once that starts changing a lot, like I, I, I have a phone. They advertise on every NBA game. That's like, you have a magic eraser where you can erase people from the image. What is reality yeah. <laughs> anymore? Right. Yeah, like, speaking of the NBA, they said there's that new feature on the NBA app where you can like edit yourself <laughs> into basketball games and you dunk on James Harden yeah. or whatever. Like <laughs> best thing they've done, in which actually boss. seems cool. <laughs> that actually seems cool. Yeah. I, yeah, I saw that clip and it looks really yeah. cool. <laughs> no, but you're totally right. You're going to have, you're going to have clips of Obama going around like, Oh, let me be clear. Uh, Hillary, the adrenochrome supply is uh, running low. We need a uh, mass <laughs> sacrifice of our uh, the children that we traffic in the Democratic Party uh, establishment. <laughs> and people are going to be like, this is like this is game changing. This, this is, really? this is I'll totally send it real. To this. I knew it. I'll send it to y'all later. Maybe put it in the description. But there's fake news network on Instagram. They had like a clip of Hillary and Bernie debating on like the PBS NewsHour debate, and Hillary Clinton's trying to make a point, and they cut to Bernie, who's just like hitting symbols together <laughs> as she's trying to talk, <laughs> and like obviously that was it's real. Fake, actually, but... that was real. I remember that. <laughs> oh, he did yeah. do that. That rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a real uh, Sigma male move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you see that interview i think new yorker did with him this week about his upcoming that was book, great yeah but they had the interview on the valentine's classic grumpy day, bernie and the story back, starts yeah. <laughs> yeah and he's like why is valentine's <laughs> day on a tuesday <laughs> <laughs> it's like i don't know man it's I, read it, it's like, I don't know yeah. what to tell you but i love <laughs> no, you yeah. we didn't we, we didn't deserve him as president honestly no. it's, it's better this way actually yeah. <laughs> i i say as i'm like months behind on my med- on my medical bills <laughs> Yeah. 
That's so oh, funny. Gosh. Um, Poor Jane. You know, spe- speaking of medical, Bernie, got to take her out to dinner or yeah, something. They seem yeah. happy. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Just buy some flowers. Yeah. Yeah. He also strikes me as the type who doesn't do those types of holidays. He'll probably, oh, this is just a Hallmark yeah. holiday. But at the same time, I also believe He's Bernie right. to be the kind of person to like do these acts of kindness just like out of the blue and randomly. Sure, yeah. too. I would hope. Yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of medical bills uh, and our medical system, uh, John Fetterman, new senator from Pennsylvania, is in the hospital. He's going to be there for an extended stay getting mental health care, which I think we all agree is good. That's something he's dealing with. His spokespeople said he's dealing with clinical depression and he's getting treatment. That's good. While the right has taken this as an opportunity to, you know, again, discredit uh, mental health care as a form of health care comparable and on the same level as every other type of health care because your brain's part of your body. And even though they don't have them, it's still essential to take care uh, of and maintain. So I'm, I'm curious what you thought of the reaction from the right when this announcement was made and how this shows he's weak or any other sort of, you know, emasculating word they used and that he's unfit for office as a result of this announcement. And also, again, <clears throat> he went to the hospital a week or two ago to get tests done just out of an abundance of caution because he is a stroke survivor. All signs were clear on that front, but he is now getting care for mental health. Just curious what you guys thought of of the reactions from the right when this announcement was made. I mean, I'm, I've am i unfortunately been around to see like even more disgusting things than this from the right, so like I'm just really not surprised. Um, I <laughs> am on the Daily Wire beat a lot, so like Ben Shapiro's take was like, oh, this shows how Democrats will just prop up any old figure, so they're trying to tie this into Dianne Feinstein and Joe Biden, which I'm like... Okay, out out of all the angles, like I suppose that's like a better one. But then, like, how do you look at Donald Trump, who is like wheezing <laughs> during during COVID nineteen? Yeah, famously, the there's White no House. there's no old incoherent uh, Republicans anywhere in the U.S. government. You know, Chuck Grassley yeah, or well, whoever. Like, that's actually <laughs> a fairly common thing. It's a bipartisan thing in the U.S. government to have these old old weirdos that are barely coherent anymore, are barely conscious. I think that's like a, you can see that in both parties in the kind of gerontocracy that runs the U.S. government. Yeah, and this hatred isn't towards like we all have people in our family who like may not be at their like prime as their like earlier years, and like we love them and we care about them, but like they also, at least most of us, I think, have the individual responsibility not to use that phrase, but like you know we try to make sure they don't drive, like we try to make sure they have as funeral like external responsibilities as possible because we understand that like in that mind state while they might still be valuable as people. Like they should be as far away from the levers of decision-making as possible. Yeah. And in sure. terms of Fetterman as well, I think like you said, Dan, it's, it's not surprising that they would latch onto that. Just like, like the right latched onto his stroke and his other health issues to try and discredit him. Um, you know, I think overall it's good though, to see someone with a big public profile. I mean, first of all, I think being in the Senate would make anyone depressed. It seems like a not enjoyable <laughs> thing to have to do with your life. But you know, I don't think <laughs> I don't think people do uh, take their mental health seriously enough, especially men. Um, you know, this is like a kind of an ep- like a, a pretty serious problem with with uh, men in modern age is is 
not talking about mental health enough and certainly not getting treatment for mental health issues. And so just on that level, I think it's kind of good to have someone that has this big uh, emerging profile, uh, a political figure that's kind of normalizing that um, because it's it's a major problem in our in our culture of men not really taking these issues seriously. I know it's a it's a problem that I've had personally, certainly that I'm trying to kind of start to work on more now that I'm almost forty years old. So you know, good for him. Uh, wish him the best. I think it's a good thing, and it's not surprising that the right is latching onto it as some kind of sign of weakness. But it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I, it, it took me a while as I was growing up to get past this stigma or this idea that accepting that you might need help is in some way making you inferior or inadequate or weak or whatever. And recognizing that it is unbelievably common, especially with how we connect to each other, how we spend our time, you know, processing these things through screens and I know, I know it's cliche, but it does have an impact just seeing people's unrealistic depictions of their lives. Yeah. And you're only seeing like, – like even to Dan's point, to tie it to AI, editing things out of photos to make their life seem even better and only getting these distorted depictions of people's lives that aren't rooted in reality and you're fed it on a constant basis. And that's how you spend your leisure time, just scrolling through all this kind of stuff. It'll fuck you up. It'll fuck everyone up. And I really feel bad for kids who have a totally warped view of the world as a result of this. But for me, it took time to realize that. And eventually I did. And I noticed such a seismic shift in how I was before and after that recognition and taking action on it, you know, going to therapy, getting help, treating it. It changed it changed so much about me and I wish I could go back and do it earlier because I would have had more years where I was, you know, more present, more aware, less angry, being in better control of my emotions, being in better control of my rage that I had when I was younger. And I, I feel bad for, I feel bad for people who don't, who don't recognize that and don't take action on it because it, it does work and it does help. And it's sad that we have the stigma around it. And like to Rob's point, especially for men, because society pressures you to bottle it up. Like from a young age, you get hurt. What's what's the line? You know, toughen up, be a man, don't cry, only girls cry. Those are really harmful thoughts to internalize for decades growing up. Because yeah. I'm not saying like, oh, you should go out and cry every day. But just like, dude, if you're hurt, it's okay to be in pain. Like you're human. It's just, it's just what, it's what happens. It's ridiculous. There's a really good documentary called The Mask You Live In. I don't know if either of you have seen it, but it talks about that and how groups and communities are trying to reach people at a young age and help them understand that's not the only way to see the world. And I hope that idea and mindset proliferates because it just makes you better off in the long run. It's, it's great if you can recognize that early. I think that's a good point. And, you know, it's the kind of thing when you talk about this problem in our culture, it's a tough line to walk because you don't want to make an excuse for anyone that engages in horrible behavior. But I think there's a reason that so many young men are being like radicalized in these completely fucked up directions and ending acting out in these horrible antisocial and violent ways. Like we were talking a few weeks ago about Andrew Tate and you have, you wonder like why you look around why and why are people 
young men? Why are they responding to these kind of individuals? And I don't want to say that that's the only reason, but you know, I think that kind of issue is the root of a lot of these really reactionary movements that we're seeing young people getting sucked into. And I think that's one of the important things about normalizing these things first is so people before they get radicalized, again, I don't want to make excuses for anyone that engages in horrible behavior or does terrible things, um, but making sure that like fewer people get pulled into that world as a way to kind of process these, these kind of complex emotions that, that they're not really having the ability to confront in any way. Yeah, I like what you're saying there is that like not to excuse any of this behavior, but it's important to, I think there is one strategy that I think is effective in some ways and useful for education to kind of draw at a societal, okay, like toxic masculinity is a thing that exists in culture and something you, um men have to sort of like combat and look at in society. None of those things have changed, right? But that's been the discourse for a good decade. And so you've had a complete counter revolution to that. And so, you know, like in any other context, like you change and update the messaging a lot like the right wingers are. Like I think about how then in the UK, especially like they're having to develop special curriculum to like untate pill a bunch of these like American equivalent to like middle and high school kids. Because yeah. again, a lot of, to bring it to a political perspective, the austerity politics of conservative governments in the UK and the United States, where there are fewer and fewer educational settings to where people can really, you know, teachers can really speak to students about the proper way to both process their feelings and process their emotions while not perpetuating these awful things in society. Uh, those things get cut. And even if those things aren't cut, you see situations where well, you know, there's laws like in Florida to where these things get politically charged and teachers feel they may be legally threatened by bringing up something or like incorporating gender into this analysis, you know, doing the things that were supposed to make kids or at least expose kids. You can't force kids to do anything. I don't think people are trying to do that, but expose kids to the broader society while they're young so that they don't grow up and internalize these awful frameworks. At the end of the day, like, what I was talking about earlier when I was saying that we need to update how we're describing these things, of course, yes, toxic masculinity, toxic masculinity is a part of it, but Andrew Tate is providing this framework for men and women, like relationships and all these things. And it's terrible, but it's on us, I think, especially like as people who are expressing and having a voice, but also people on the left who are listening to this and having conversations with others to think about why that works and unpack that and figure out how you can appeal to that kind of person and direct them towards, you know, logical, more respectful ways of being. And so that's kind of the next step I'm thinking about. It's like, how do you look at without, you know, again, like you're saying, Rob, without apologizing for yeah. this behavior, this discourse, like how do you look at these kids who are, don't have a lot of sense of direction for like what is right and wrong because of what has exposed them on these algorithms and like what they see their heroes getting away with in a lot of cases and reaching them at that level and saying, no, here's 
actually the way the world works. Here's a framework that you can agree with to make yourself a better, more respectful human being, a person who treats people better, who um, Jordan was saying this, I can definitely relate to this, like working through rage and anger and processing these things in healthier ways so that it's, you know, maybe not always productive, but at bare minimum, not destructive to others. And so, yeah, I, I'm, I've been pleasantly happy to see a lot of leftists start to take on this like anti-manosphere content and present this from like a, you know, quote unquote masculine kind of way. Because, um, from a bisexual voice, like a flamboyantly dressing person like myself, that message doesn't always land with other men, but it's good that it's starting to reach out there. It's just gotta like go into overdrive. Yeah. It's, it, it, you gotta, you gotta, you know, meet people where they're at. Right. And I think you would talk about it from a different perspective than I would. And I'm not saying either of us are right or wrong. I think it's just, we talk about it in different ways to different people. And I think what a lot of opponents of this think is that to accept this and to understand this results in inherent, like some inherently emasculating, uh, acceptance or worldview or behavior patterns or whatever it's like no man you can it doesn't have to be that way if you don't want it to be yeah you can still yeah you can still do the things in your life like you're saying that aren't hurting people like i still watch sports my favorite music is metal i love violent video games but at the end of the day if i'm not feeling good i'm not going to bottle that up i'm going to go to somebody who is trained to help people work through those things and talk to her about it. And that helps me. Like, I don't have to just immediately go out and become some, you know, blue haired SJW, like whatever, just live your life how you want. As long as it's not hurting somebody, except that those people are also on the same side as you and just want to help make the world a better place. And you can still do things that you like. You don't have to just get into like art house dramas and read theory all day. Like do whatever you want, man. It's okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's just accept, creating these frameworks and allowing people to just like go, you can, there is a way to be yourself while also just making sure that while in doing that, you don't harbor these strange, weird resentments about the way that women or non-binary people like live their lives. Like it's, it shouldn't be too hard of a task to be in. But again, like there is a, I, I feel at least a responsibility as a cisgendered male to constantly present, like you just said, Jordan, like there are ways to have all of all of the above, right? Like, but to do that, it takes a lot of deprogramming, um, active deprogramming that society is doing. Almost like during the George Floyd protest, people got the idea of it's not just enough to not like racism. You have to be actively anti-racist. You have to be actively anti-transphobia in these days as well. You have to be act actively anti against this sort of like male dominated violence and that's happening rhetorically and in reality in society so that's sort of like the responsibility i feel to have there but i think that everyone listens to things like you're saying people meet people where they're at everyone's listens to things and listens to things in different ways so um yeah as long as we're directing people away from this toxic idea of bring it back to john fetterman like uh seeking help or getting treatment or going to a doctor is a problem like 
That's healthy. That's good. I, I thought we were supposed to applaud politicians who are straightforward with their health experiences as opposed to hiding them. Because mm-hmm. what would all these Republican politicians be saying if, oh, Fetterman was secretly uh, passed out at a Democratic um, committee retreat yeah. and all the Democrats knew about it, but he kept it secret? And, oh, what health things is he hiding from? We all know the cycle that would be. So because he did the right thing, all they're doing is perpetuating the stuff, which is like, oh, <laughs> he's weak because he realizes that he needs help. And in order to serve his constituents, he's going to need to be his best self. It's it's a ridiculous thing when you break it down. And I hold out some optimism that the voters, the people who he represents, will see this because that's the same reason they voted for him. It's the same reason they overcame all the bullcrap from Dr. Oz and all the stuff they were pushing at the Republican Party was at that time. Um, and they believe in him because it's ultimately what uh john fetterman stands for and so that'll be hopefully hopefully what happens but you know this is this country yeah. so we'll see how they react do you i think we should talk a little bit about the uh the train derailment in east palestine because i know dan you've been kind of looking at that um i was just i'd be interested to hear both of your thoughts before we wrap up about um how that's progressed over the last week i think it's kind of this tipping point was reached where i think people were so there was this big cognitive dissonance between how this was being not talked about in mainstream media versus how people on social media started really latching onto it. And that caused it, I think, to get a lot more attention and a lot more coverage. And now you have the Biden administration starting to talk about it. I think when we recorded our last episode, they still had yet to do that. But I think something kind of like fascinating and uh, very unfortunate that's going on um, which is that it's now like everything, it's kind of becoming this politicized thing. It's turning into this kind of culture war event where now a lot of conservatives are latching onto it and, and pointing out a reason, uh, pointing out that, um, it's an example of, you know, the failure of the state or being abandoned by Democrats, uh, or what have you. And we've talked about the ways that there's very real truth to that. I think it's kind of, preposterous that people on the right are claiming to be, you know, better on like infrastructure or safety standards when they've spent decades like actively campaigning against these very things. It's not like people on the right are going to, are going to be talking about nationalizing the railway system or strengthening the railway unions or anything like that. As we discussed on this show would be actual uh, solutions to dealing with these kinds of like derailments. Um, so that's very silly, but you also have this uh, on the other side, you have this kind of like Democrat uh, fetishizing group, which is now kind of circling the wagons around Democrats and kind of refusing to acknowledge that the Democratic Party or the sort of neoliberalism that the Democrats have championed now for uh, the last 30, 40 years has anything to do with it either or suggesting that like the Biden administration has has is completely has their hands tied uh, hands tied to deal with it or that Pete Buttigieg is somehow powerless to do anything about uh, preventing these things from happening taking on this idea that like well there's like 1100 train derailments per year in the United States and it's like yeah that's not good though that's really that's pretty bad like you should probably maybe we should there should be conversations going on about how to limit that or anything but it's again like everything it's just turned into this kind of culture war situation now uh, where people have picked their teams and their sides. And as usual uh, with the United States, uh, nothing is really going to be improved in any way. And the people that are just going to be further entrenched in what they already believed. It, maybe it's just my sick thrill of seeing Jordan go off. But um, <laughs> how, how do you feel about the, how do you feel about the 
directing it to you, Jordan. How do you feel about the reap and sow crowd that's been especially vocal mm. doing all of this? The like the oh well, hey, the folks in East Palestine, a place where I understand like you have some like personal relationship to. It's like oh well, they vote conservative and they vote this way, so these are the politicians that you get, and this is what happens. Um, I, I hopefully you, you have like a broader like ability to see these things even i do sometimes like hopefully you're not getting a bunch of people on the left who think they can coalition build with that kind of like reap and sow dialogue but i mean what does that make you feel especially when you like compare those folks who view politics as like a team sports kind of thing versus you as someone who's like experienced activism on the ground you're like you can't just reduce these people to like red and blue the way you're trying to well, to go back to our last conversation, I would have handled it a lot differently a few years ago. I'm coming up on like th- I'm coming up three on three years sober, and if I was not, uh, I would have lashed out all week because yeah, I've got roots there. Talk about in the last episode. I grew up just a couple towns over, went to school one town over from East Palestine. It is, yeah, it's a conservative area, but that doesn't mean they're any less deserving of clean air or water, and in that area specifically in the Rust Belt and post-industrial America, the reason you saw a huge upswing in Trump votes is because people like Hillary, people like Obama, people like Clinton, and decades of neoliberal Democrats gutted and left that area like to die through policies like NAFTA and the proposed TPP that Obama championed and Hillary championed before union and worker pressure got her to flip-flop on the issue, it would have been even worse for American workers. That's a blue-collar area. You know, East Palestine is a little bit more rural than Youngstown, but that whole area is in that kind of that situation together. They all know it. And the reason you they don't like Democrats is because they've seen what neoliberal policies do to that area. And people in San Francisco, in New York, or in any other super liberal safe place where you're not relying on manufacturing, where you're not relying on blue-collar jobs to get by, and where your median income is not near or below the poverty level for your town, it's very easy for people to make that statement. Oh, you got this because you voted for X, Y, and Z. It's also, that's a really conservative, like religious area too. There's a ton of Mennonites around there. They're just not going to vote for your guy. I'm sorry. But that doesn't make them any less deserving of clean air or water. And by celebrating it or dismissing it because of voting patterns, it also shows an ignorance on your part. Because here's the thing, that air isn't confined to a red area, a red town, a red county. That water doesn't stay in one place. It affects all of us. And when you're dismissing an environmental disaster like this, as the air and this thick plume of black smoke is floating around and outside of that geographical area, it affects everyone. And 100% of the people who live there didn't vote for Trump. In East Palestine, I think 30% voted for Biden. That's a very small town. But that doesn't mean just because they were outnumbered, the people who live there who are on your side also deserve to suffer. Like I said, I would have handled it a lot worse a couple <laughs> years ago. That was very it's just, It's yeah. really, it still is very angering. It, it's yeah. very angering because those are good people, man. If they disagree with, they're not, who's your enemy here? Who is your real enemy here, right? Yeah. It's Norfolk Southern. It's the lobbying group 
for the rail industry who fought against safety measures. It's the regulators who were asleep at the wheel. It is Congress who is unwilling to do anything about this. It's people who have taken money from the rail industry and given them free pass. That's your enemy. Your enemy is not someone who's making $40,000 a year, barely struggling to make ends meet, and who votes differently than you because of their religion. They're not the, your real enemy. Your enemy are the people in power. Right. Like that's uh, that's what I want. I wish that would be the message that even some of these like you know hard headed liberals who do like the reap and sow kind of thing like the oh they deserve it this is what you vote for kind of deal. They do this after every like environmental uh, uh, incident in any red state. Also, it's just it's the and, least and, helpful and, thing you can imagine. And conservatives do that. Like, you know, <laughs> there's a couple of different scripts during the American ritual of a mass shooting. Like there's thoughts and prayers, but there's also conservatives, if it happens to happen in a blue state, going, oh, well, I thought they had gun control. Yeah. Oh, well, I thought they had gun mm-hmm. reform. Oh, well, I thought guns weren't allowed in Chicago or Illinois. Like it's like that sort of partisan game that they play. So I think it's ridiculous that even if, even if you're in like that team sports liberal brain dynamic that like – oh, wow, you're playing this exact same shit that they do where you're like celebrating their tragedies and mismatching it to a political ideology. Like, sure, it's gross. I, I hate that you're, those people are part of the political process, sure. But at least when I'm talking about like getting this stuff forward, just like you're saying, and I think anyone who has worked in an activist space, this is just like obvious stuff that like just because they voted differently doesn't necessarily mean they're your enemy. If anything, like that's an opportunity for you politically to get them to jump the line. They already hate Democrats. We already hate Democrats. All right. That's really an opportunity for people yeah. to organize. And so unfortunately, like what folks have been seeing is that you see Republicans who are starting to organize down in East Palestine in a lot of these areas where you're seeing a lot of the environmental effects of um this crash and while you have the ohio river valley organizers and a lot of other folks who are trying to combat that there is always going to be a ground game and a game of trust after these sort of political calamities and disasters that should be seen as opportunities for recruitment the fact that you're not seeing a lot of people on the left there who are providing an analysis for people on the ground to say this is why both parties are screwing you and this is something you can do to build a political movement elsewhere is i think again i'm not trying to chide anyone because they're great workers and organizers working down there but i think it's a goal we should work towards that we have like a rapid response sort of team we have people who are able to um get on the ground and have ideas of what to do and support and um ongoing efforts that are already happening there locally because this is also going to be a game like you're saying of ideology and how do people look at this and a lot of people are going to look at pete Buttigieg going well my first defense is this happens every day all the time yeah. and this is the first time i'm being interviewed about it so uh kick rocks like that's going to radicalize a lot of people more conservatively we could use that as an opportunity to radicalize more people past pete Buttigieg, which is where i think everyone in the country would be better staying yeah. at well, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was saying is when it's setting up this question, like the the response to these kinds of incidents should be, you know, more regulation, uh, nationalizing railways, strengthening unions. Like these are all things that are going to help prevent these things from happening. Republicans are not going to offer, offer that solution. Obviously, these kind of mainstream uh, Democrats like Joe Biden or Pete Buttigieg are not going to offer those solutions, but there needs to be an effort in as East Palestine is an example, but 
as these kind of as the climate crisis continues and these kind of incidents get worse, that's what the opportunity is to start communicating with people in these kind of communities that are affected by these things and talk about the ways that the entire political system has allowed that to happen on a bipartisan level and talk about the, the solutions that are, we know are, uh, work to prevent these kind of things and how neither party is really offering that, you know, that's an opportunity for people on the left, but it involves really like going down and having those conversations with people. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep following the story. We've got another interview lined up next week about it. Uh, it's something that, yeah, we've, we're going to be keeping a close eye on. We'll see how it develops. But Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find you and your work online? Pleasure to be with you all again. I'm at Dan from the internet on YouTube and Instagram, Dan from the web on Twitter and Twitch. Um, also Dan from the internet on TikTok as well. I almost have that down where it's like nice and even, but if you search for Dan from the internet or Dan from the web on some platform, you might find me or some other bozo who got to the username first. But um, yeah, it's great to be on with y'all. Thank you so much, Dan. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. <laughs>